All right. Well, let's go to God's word. If you want to take out your sermon note sheet, you'll find that inside your bulletin. It will help you better follow along as we are in week number nine of what I think is going to be a 12-week study through the New Testament book of James that we're calling When Faith Grows Up. Now, since it's been six weeks since we've been in this series, let me go ahead and kind of just recap once again what the book of James is all about. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was, he was the pastor of the early church in Jerusalem, is writing here to Jewish Christians that have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And what he is teaching us and them is what mature Christian faith really looks like. And here's his big concern. Does our faith walk match our faith talk? Is what we profess reflected in how we live? Does our faith have action? Are we doers of God's word or are we just hearers only? Can I tell you that's the difference between maturity and immaturity? between alive faith and dead faith. In fact, the entire book of James really revolves around this verse. James chapter 2, verse 26. James says, as the body without the spirit is dead, talking about your physical body, so faith without deeds is what? It's dead. And something that's dead can't be very mature. Amen? So as we've made our way through this book, we've been learning from James what mature living faith really looks like. Now, the theme of chapter four is that as Christians, we're called to live differently than the world does. The world lives by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It allows those things to rule over them. The world allows those things to define truth, to call the shots, to direct their paths. The Christian, on the other hand, is called to live under a different authority, God's authority. We're called to allow him to define truth and him to call the shots. We're called to follow him as he directs our paths. And the way that we do that, the key to doing that is humility. James chapter 4 verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? Lift you up. Otherwise God will get involved in your life. He'll partner with you. How many know that God wants to partner with you? Okay? But you have to invite him in to partner with you. And the way you do that is you'll humble yourself before the Lord. You put him in the proper place of authority in your life. Now today, as we work our way through the last half of chapter 4, James is going to give us some practical ways we tend to not do what he just told us to do. We're called to submit ourselves to God, to humble ourselves before the Lord, but we have a tendency to want to play God in our life. That's why I've entitled the message today, Stop Playing God. The truth is, I'm bad at it, and so are you. But if we're all honest, even as Christians, we have a tendency to want to do so. So that's what James is addressing in our text today. Let's go ahead and read what he has to say, verses 11 through 17. James writes, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, 
the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for them. Now, if you have been with us for any parts of this James series, you know that James does not, hold any pun- does not pull any punches, right? He's very direct. He's very in our face about the issues that he addresses. He's very pointed in what he says. And so what James is saying here is this, who in the world gave you the right to play the role of God? Who gave you the right to judge others the way that you do as if you were God? Why do you go about living your life by your own authority, not concerned about the will of God? And what James is saying, you need to stop that. We need to allow God to be God, amen? amen. And it's our job, job to humbly submit ourselves to that plan. Now, as we break this text down, it really divides neatly into two practical points. I almost split this into two weeks, but it all goes together. So let's go ahead and look at each of these practical points one by one. Point number one, James tells the people he's writing to, he tells us this, don't play God over others. Okay, look at verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Now that word slander, a Greek word there, it, it literally means to talk down people, to talk down one another. Can I tell you, it's so hard not to do that. Am I right? Yeah. Go, go, uh, let me say it again. Some of you don't want to. Am I right? Okay. Why? Because people are messy. People are selfish. I'm messy. I'm selfish by nature. And because of that, we have a tendency to want to be judgmental and critical of others. And we do it for a number of different reasons. Sometimes we do it to justify our own actions and beliefs. Sometimes we do it because of our self-wants and self-desires that other people are not doing that we want them to do. At other times, we, we, we slander people to compensate for hurt and pain in our life. I mean, when somebody hurts you, what's the very first thing you want to do? You want to slander them and you want to go tell somebody about what they did, right? That's the very first thing that you want to do. And, and sometimes we, because of hurts in our life that we never dealt with, dealt with, dealt with a lot of us get into the habit of just slandering all the time. It's become a habit in our life because of past hurts. Sometimes we slander people, and I think this is a big one, to cover over our own insecurities. You know, tearing down others always makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves, doesn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm a mess, but at least I'm not them, right? Amen? And we have all kinds of ways of justifying our slander of others, and, 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 and you've said some of these phrases. Now, now stop me if I'm wrong, but. Now, I don't mean to be critical, but perhaps I shouldn't say this about them, but you know, I really like so-and-so, but 
Have you noticed that all throughout the books of James, the book of James, James goes after what comes out of our mouths, doesn't he? Can I tell you, there's no greater gauge of our maturity than what rolls off our tongues. And that shouldn't surprise you because Jesus said, out of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. Now, look at what James says we're really doing when we talk down others, when we slander them. When we judge them by the way of slander. Look at the uh, second half of verse 11. It says, it says this, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And the question is, what in, what in the world does that even mean? Well, while law here could refer to any law of God, James is talking about one particular law that he has already mentioned back in James chapter 2, verse 8. Let me take you back there for a moment. James said this. He says, if you really keep the, what does it say? Royal law. Remember what we talked about this earlier? There is a king and queen of all the laws of God. One of the king is love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And the queen is love your what? Neighbor, Neighbor as yourself. Jesus said all the other laws of, God fall, laws of God fall under these two. So if you really keep the law, the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Question. Is loving, is it loving to slander your neighbor? No, it's not. How are you going to love your neighbor as yourself? You certainly don't want other people slandering you. How are you going to love them as yourself if you're out to slander them? You're not. Now, back, with that in mind, back to chapter 4, once again, verse 11. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. So here's what this means. When we slander our neighbor, we're not obeying God's law to love our neighbor as ourselves. And in doing so, we have spoken against the law and judged it not to be for us in favor for another way. God says to love your neighbor, but we've decided, hey, I've got a better way. And you know what you call that? That's called playing God. That's saying, we know better than God. That's called putting yourself in the place of God. Anytime we judge our neighbor with slander, we are playing the role of God. In fact, let me take that a step further. Anytime, any law of God that we decide not to obey, we have spoken against the law, we've judged it, and we've decided to play our own God. We've decided to be our own authority. And that should not be for the Christian. Stop Playing God when it comes to others is what James is saying. He's saying, stop the gossip, stop the backbiting, stop the criticism, stop slandering one another. Why? Because of verse 12, look at it. There is only one. How many? One. There is only one lawgiver. Notice capital L. And judge. Notice capital J the one who is able to save and destroy. And that's not you, and it's not me, and it's not your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not you. Tell them it's not me either. Do you understand? Only God can save and destroy people eternally. Therefore, it's best to leave the judging to him. In fact, let me just say this, and I know this is not easy to follow, but, it, but it's true. Listen, God is big enough to handle the other people that we want to slander and criticize. Amen. 
He saw it. He's not surprised about it. We need to leave it in his hands. Amen? That's his job, not ours. Therefore, James says what? But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And I, and I wish you could appreciate how, how strong the original Greek language is here. I can't communicate it to you the way it's really written, but let me try. What James is literally saying here is, who do you think you are? Who made you God? Stop it. And I want to remind you that James is talking to Christians here. He's not talking to people of the world. What he is implying is that there are lots of lowercase lawgivers and lots of lowercase judges running around slandering people in the churches that he's writing to. Can I tell you, and this is so true, churches sadly can be some of the most slanderous places on the planet, and that shouldn't be so. Stop it, James says. Now, I want to briefly answer an important question, and I it really needs to be a sermon in and of itself, and I think maybe we're going to do that sometime shortly here after the James series. We'll, we'll see, but let me just touch on this for a moment in dealing with this subject. Do we ever judge? Is it ever appropriate for a Christian to make a judgment? The answer is yes. There are times when it is. Now listen to me very carefully. Never are we to slander anyone but at times, we need to make a judgment in order to minister properly to people. Okay, think about this logic just for a second. You cannot be a good parent without at times judging your kids. Why? Because you have to correct them so you can get them back on the right path. Am I right about that? You can't be a good boss without making judgments. You've got to hold the people under you accountable. You've got to create order. You've got to create productivity or nobody's going to have a job. You can't be a good pastor or a disciple maker without at times making judgments. Do you understand ministry is a call to lead people into a transforming relationship with Christ in which they progressively leave a life of sin for one that is righteous? And at times the most loving thing that you can do is make a judgment not to slander but to help a brother and sister in Christ get their life back into alignment with God. You know, sometimes I hear people say, and I hear this quite a bit, don't judge me. The Bible says you shouldn't judge anyone. That's not true. That is usually the statement of someone who doesn't know their Bible and doesn't want to turn from their way to God's way. Let me give you two thoughts about this issue. Number one, there is no place for self-righteous judgment. Secondly, we're called to make right judgments. Let me take you to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For, it is this, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, boy, think about this for a second. That statement should make a stop on our tracks before we ever think about making a judgment against someone. Okay? Before you decide you're going you're gonna to make a judgment, you're going to get involved in somebody's life, you need to stop and think twice about the if, the when, and how you go about making that judgment because the major you use will be measured to you. Do you see that? That's a sobering thought. Otherwise, you're going to reap what you sow in this area, so you've got to be careful. Jesus goes on to say in verse 3, 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? You thought James was direct and in your face. You hypocrite. Now watch this. First take the plank out of your own eye and then, first and then, first and then. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus forbids self-righteous judgment, but not all judgment. Sometimes you have to make a judgment to protect yourself and other people. I mean, look what Jesus said earlier in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He said, watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruits, you will recognize them. In order to recognize them, you have to make discernments and judgments. Amen? And can I tell you, there are times that, that God will use you. I've experienced this as a pastor all the time. I will look in people's lives, and as a pastor, I have a responsibility at times to say, look, I know what you're thinking here, but I see some red flags here that are you, sh- you, you better double check that this is God's will because you're on a path here that, that may not be the best thing for you. And sometimes people receive it, and some people, times people reject it, and sometimes people, they don't have anything to do with me after that but it's not done in a manner where I'm trying to slander them. I'm trying to minister to them. I don't know if you know this, but I protect you as a congregation more than you know. There are wolves in sheep's clothing that come into here all the time. And I can recognize them right away. They come in here, they have an agenda about how they're the greatest thing in the world and how they can do this for our church. And there are times, I, I tell you, there are times that God has told me to tell that person to leave. I don't do that because they annoy me. I do that because I'm trying to protect you from false doctrines and false teachings. Do you understand what I'm talking about? There are times when you have to make a judgment in order to help restore a brother and sister in Christ. I mean, they're off track, and we're going to try to reel you back into where you need to be with God. Now, certainly there's a self-righteous, slanderous way you can do that that's not of God, amen? Amen. But there is a place for that. In fact, look what James says at the end of the book here of James. James says, my brother and s- brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You have to make judgments in order to turn a sinner from the error of their ways. That's not playing God. It's ministering on behalf of God. Here's a statement that, that we all need to keep in mind if we ever feel called in that realm or God's going to use us in that realm. And, and um, like I said, this is, I need to do a whole sermon on this. Uh, but look at this statement here. We don't talk down to others. We come down to them in an effort to lift them up. Amen. Yes. Yes. And you know what Jesus says? When that happens, you actually go to your brother in private. You don't talk to everybody else about it. We'll do a whole sermon on that. Here's what I want you to know for this morning so you have a balanced approach. What James is addressing in chapter 4 is self-righteous, slanderous, being critical judgment. He's talking about church people who are gossiping and backbiting and being critical of one another. And when we do that, we're playing God, and James says we need to stop it. So look to the person next to you and say, stop it. 
I'll tell them they're guilty. They just don't realize it. <laughs> so first, James says, don't play God over others. Second, he says, don't play God over your own life. Don't play God over your own life. That's what James is addressing in verses 13 through 17. Now, let me remind you once again, and you see this all throughout the book, James is not talking to non-Christians here. He's talking to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking to people who one day are going to die and go to heaven. He's talking to people who go to church and worship with other believers. And the problem he's addressing is this. The problem is many of them are playing God when it comes to their own lives. How so? Well, James explains to us how so as he addresses four insights about how people respond to God's will. First, he addresses the foolishness of ignoring God's will. Number one, the foolishness of ignoring God's will. Now look at verse 14. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Now let's stop just for a second. This is not, everybody say not. This is not a call to not have a plan. This is not, ooh, I just kind of float with the breeze. God's going to do what he wants. No, listen, we're called to be good stewards of our life, and that involves making good plans. In fact, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, not on the screen, but just listen to me, says the plans of the diligent lead to profit, and guess what? When you don't plan, it leads to ruin. Proverbs tells us that. We are to be good planners. We're, we're called to be good, sound planners and make them plans diligently. What I want you to notice here is there is nothing inherently wrong with the example of planning that James is describing in this verse. Think about it. There's nothing wrong with making plans to go to this city or that city. There's nothing wrong with spending a year there. There's nothing uh, wrong with doing business or making money. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But there's one thing wrong with this plan as a whole that James presents. There's one thing missing. Seeking God's will about it all. What, what if God's will isn't to go spend a year in that city? And you're making plans to go there. What if that plan has some dangers around corners that you can't see now that you don't know about and you're getting ready to make the biggest mistake of your life? What if that plan sounds good, smells good, looks good, but in the end is going to be the worst decision that you ever made for your family? When we make plans, no matter how good they may be without seeking God's will about it, that's foolish. That's playing God thinking that we're going to be able to control the outcome of it all. I mean, the, the, listen, you young people, listen to me. The older I get, the more that I realize I control nothing. I, I control very little of, of anything. In, in big picture, I control nothing. Listen, when, when we think we can control it all, that's playing God. Now, here's the rules for playing God when it comes to your own life. You set your own schedule today and tomorrow. You select your own path. We will go to this or that city. You select your own limits. Spend a year there. You arrange your own activities. Carry on business. You predict your own outcome and make money. Now, once again, nothing wrong with making plans, but what's missing from this? What's God's will? 
There are lots of Christians who live their life this way. I mean, think about it. They kind of, I could explain it this way. They kind of live with a separation in their life. And they're like, well, this is my church life, and this is when I do spiritual things. So I go to church on Sunday, but this is my personal life. And, and it kind of, it's almost like separation of church and state. And, and they want God to be their savior on Sunday just in case they need rescue. But they don't really want him to be their Lord. James is telling us here that shouldn't be. Everything we do in life from our actions to our attitudes, from our walk to our talk, it should all run through the filter of what would God want me to do here? Lord, where do you want me to live? God, what... what what, what do you want me to do with my life? God, how do, you want me to, how do you want to use my gifts and talents? God, is this the right opportunity that, to take that's before me? How many know not everything that looks like a God thing, smells like a God thing, is a God thing? Do you understand the devil can put opportunities in front of you too? So you have to be discerning. You have to, you have to, you have to really say, God, hey, what are you doing in, in my life here? Is, is the timing right? Sometimes it's the right thing, but the wrong timing, Right? Lord, is this the right attitude I should have for this situation? Am I seeing this right? How do you want me to respond to this hurt that's in my life? How do you want me to respond to the person who has just hurt me? God, oh, this is a big one. Is this the right person I should be falling in love with? A better question, what type of person should I be looking to fall in love with from God? Listen, when you don't seek God's will in any area of your life, when you go it alone in any area, that's foolishness, and that's called playing God. And James tells us why we shouldn't do that. Look at verse 14. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Listen, it's foolish for you and I to plan without God because we don't know the future. We can't see ahead. We can't see the dangers. We can't tell for sure if that path that has a great entrance is going to turn into a hellhole. But God does. God already knows the future. He's in the future. He knows what, what's down every path that we consider in life. He knows when, you're, when you've got five forks in the road and you don't know which one to go to, God says, I know which one. Why in the world would we want to do anything without seeking the, Lord's the Lord first? I mean, he knows the future. He's all powerful. He controls all things. He knows all things. That's not me in any of those categories. You know, this is so ironic to me because in a world of technology, we are so good at consulting our phones about travel and, and GPS and, and distance. How many of you, we all live on the Eastern Shore. How many of you ever said, I got to go across the bridge. It's the weekend, it's summer, and you pull it up and you go, I want to see how bad the traffic is to go across the bridge. <laughs> Even at home, you consult your what? Your GPS or your, your maps so that you can better navigate through your life. Why don't we do that with God? Do you understand God is the one that we need to be seeking? God is your Google Maps. He's your heavenly maps. And he's giving you a whole Bible. It's to be your GPS. I mean, think about it. This is a no-brainer. I shouldn't want to do anything in my life without running it first through the filter of what, God, what is your will? 
And sometimes this is not, we always think of this in long term. Sometimes this is moment by moment. Somebody just hurt me and I want to slander and I want to, and I, sometimes the, I need to stop and say, God, I got to run, I got to run through my emotions through the filter of you right now. Sometimes this is not a big picture I need to pray for months about direction. Sometimes This is a daily thing that needs to be happening in your life with your actions, with your attitudes, with every decision that's in front of you. You need to, be, you need to say, I need to run this through the filter. What's God's will here? And the better you know your Bible, the more you're going to know instantly a lot of those things. I mean, there are things we have to seek him about that are a little, little not as clear, but there are a lot of things that if, that if you decide I'm going to humble myself before the Lord and his word, it's going to clear up, a, it's going to make your path really clear really fast. And here's the thing. When it comes to doing God's will in your life, you don't have any time to waste. Look at it. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know what this is like. We go outside when it's cold and you breathe and what do you see? You see your breath, the mist. But just as fast as it comes out of your mouth, what happens to it? It's gone. What's the point? James says you don't have time to waste in this area about seeking God's will. Do you know why? Because your life is going to go by in a hurry. In fact, let me just say this even further. Seasons of your life are going to go by in a hurry. Your 20s are going to go, be gone just like that. Your 30s and your 40s and your 50s too. Your kids are going to grow up in a hurry. Your, your youth and your vibrancy, oh, it's going to go away in a hurry. Do you know what, do you know what, do you know what we discovered in our sabbatical? Amy, God, God honest truth, your pastor's losing his hearing. I don't, he, I, I, she's it's like, are you not? I'm like, I, apparently not. I, I'm not playing the man game either. I don't, can you say that again? It's, things start to deteriorate, right? Your opportunity to make a difference for God in this life is, is limited. You gotta think about that because, listen, not, God's will is not always automatic in your life. There are some things that God wants to do in this season of your life when you're in your 20s and 30s that if you miss it, you miss it. And there are some foundation that God's trying to set in this season that's for the next season and it's for other people in your life. Listen, parents, some of the things that God's trying to do in your life now to align you with your, his will is not about you, but it's about setting foundation in your kid's life and you're missing it. You're missing it. You don't have time to just go, well, I'll get my life together when I'm 30 or when I'm 40. Let me, let me tell you, when you get to about 40, you realize, oh my gosh, everybody, I'm a, more of a mess than I thought and everybody else in the world's more. My parents are more of a mess than I thought. And life just gets more complicated from there. How many of you over 40 say amen to that? Amen. Some of you are out there like, wait till you get to be 70. It's even worse, Pastor. <laughs> I mean, it used to be me and my husband, but now me and my husband, and I had to worry about my kids, and now I got to worry about my kids' kids. You live long enough, you got to worry about the kids' kids' kids, and it's just hard. <laughs> you don't have time to waste. Some of you are rebelling against the Lord right now, and the Lord loving you this morning is saying, I'm trying to save you from heartache. I'm trying to set foundation where there'll be peace in your home for generations to come and you're in danger of jeopardizing that plan because you want to go down that path. You know, there are a lot of people that are very prideful about how they live their life and their motto is, I'm not perfect and I've made a lot of messes, but I did it my way. Reminds me of the Frank Sinatra song, I did it 
my way, right? I wasn't going to sing the whole thing for you. There's a better way than your way. And life is messy enough as it is. You don't need to compound the mess. You need to be where God wants you to be. There's a better way, and it's doing it God's way. Why not submit your life to the one who knows the future controls all things? Amen? So think about this. It's absolutely foolish to ignore God's will in any area, in any season of your life. You need to be tuned in. You, this is why going to church is so important and hearing the word of God taught and con- connect groups and Bible study and, and being in your Bible and praying and, and those things kind of help tune you in better to seeking God's will, amen? amen? But so many of us just neglect some of the basic things that, that helps us keep our filter clean, amen? amen? So that we can hear the voice of the Lord. So it's absolute foolishness to ignore God's will in any of our lives. James also addresses the arrogance of denying God's will. Look at it. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Now, he's talking here about people who know what God's will is, but reject it anyway. They hear the truth, but for one reason or another... They reject it because they think they've got a better way. Now, this may surprise you, but that describes a lot of Christians. Oh, they want Jesus to save them from hell. Oh, they want to be able to run to Jesus when they can't control things any longer, but they really don't want to follow him as Lord. And so they arrogantly deny the Lord's will for their own scheme. And that's what your plan is without God. You know what it is? It's a scheme. In fact, a lot of us are trying to scheme God. We're trying to con God into our own will. Have you ever noticed that defiant people are always vocal? Arrogant people are always running their mouth, aren't they? All such boasting, all such ways of living is evil, James says. Now listen to me because this is important. Anytime we arrogantly reject God's will in favor of our own plan, we are participating in evil. In fact, we're doing more than that. We're inviting evil in to operate in our life. Why would we want to do that? Do you understand? Evil's intent is to kill, steal, and destroy. God's intent, on the other hand, is he wants to take you down paths that lead to abundant life. The best that he has for you. So it's very possible for us to ignore. We just, we just don't even think about God's will, but then it's possible for us to, to, to know God's will and say, well, I get it. I get that's what God wants, but I'm going to do this my way. That's called playing God. And it's never a good idea. You play right into the devil's hands in that. Thirdly, James addresses the sin of disobeying God's will. Now, this is a little different, and I want to show you this. I mean, the first two two were disobeying God's will too, but let me take this. James takes it a step further. Look at verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is what? Sin. Sin for them. Do you understand it's possible for us as, as Christians to know what God's will is and believe it's his will for our life, yet never walk in it? I mean, this is where we become easily deceived, right? 
So think about this. We can come to church every week. We can worship God. We can say amen. We can believe what the word of God has to say and still not be humbly submitting to it. All the while thinking that just because we came and heard that we've humbled ourselves before the Lord when we really haven't. That's called being a hearer and not a what? Doer. Doer, and James has already talked to us about that. And I want you to understand this. Please listen to this. God is not going to force you to do his will for your life. You get free will and free choice. That means you have to submit and invite him in and allow him to be the authority in your life. You have to walk that out. James says it's, it's not enough just to know God's word and agree that that's true. You've you got to learn to do what it says because when you don't do what God says, it's a what? Sin. It's a sin. That's why the last insight concerning God's will that James addresses is so important. He addresses the habit of seeking God's will. Look at verse 15. Instead, and this is, this is the, what, what everything in this last section is surrounding. Instead, so otherwise, instead of foolishly ignoring God's will, instead of arrogantly denying God's will, instead of being a hearer only and disobeying God's will, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Do you understand what he's saying? This should be the rhythm of your life. This shouldn't be a day of your life. This shouldn't be just one season of your life. This should be a rhythm through every season of your life. It, and and some, like I said earlier, it, it's not just with the big things, but with the little things. Everything should go through the filter of what does God want me to do? What, is, what does the Spirit want me to do? What is the Spirit trying to say to me? How should I respond in this situation? We've all heard the acronym WWJD. What does that stand for? God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? This needs to be the rhythm of our life. I'm going to close with this scripture verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And famous verse. And we, we read this all the time. I feel like we bring it up just about every sermon series we do. But I want you to read it and look at it in light of what James was just saying to us. Watch this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay. By the way, you're going to have trouble trusting the Lord the way you need to trust him if, if you don't put two feet in for everything in your life. The moment you start to separate where you're going to trust him in and not trust him in, you're going to struggle trusting God. He's trusting the Lord with all your heart. Now watch this. And lean not on your own understanding. Give me, let me give you a newsflash. You don't have to understand it to obey. There are times when God speaks to me. There are times when God gives me direction and I say, I don't get it. I don't understand. And how is that going to happen? I think back to 11 years ago when God said, I want you to pursue building a new building. And I thought, how is that going to happen? And our parking lot was just paved over there this week. And I still look at the rest of the project and say, how is that going to happen? You don't have to understand. You just have to obey. And what happens is God makes your path straight. It's your job to walk where he says walk. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Watch this. In all your ways, submit to him. Isn't what James is saying? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will make your what? 
so much better way to live, to allow God to be God and you to be under his authority. Question, closing question, are you playing God? Are you playing God in the life of others? And are you playing God in your own life? I put some questions in your note sheet this morning and here's what I want you to do. Here's your assignment. I think it's easy to hear a sermon like this and we're like, I, I think I got that area down pretty good and that area down pretty good. And then we go home and Monday and Tuesday and we forget about what was said on Sunday. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to read these six questions every day until next Sunday. Because I think what the Lord's gonna do is he's gonna prick your heart and say, you're playing God more than you realize and you need to stop. So here's the questions. Have I been speaking against a brother and sister in Christ in a judgmental way? Have I hypocritically pointed the finger at others out of a self-serving motives? Have I confronted others under the guise of looking out for their interest while masking a heart of envy or jealousy? In what specific areas of my life do I tend to go it alone? What decisions have I made lately in which I fail to include God's perspective? And what decisions are on the horizon that I need to set before God and seek his will? I would imagine the Holy Spirit is already speaking to you about some things, but I think he wants to speak more to you than just in the service. And so I want to challenge you, put this note sheet somewhere, and at the end of every day, I want you to pull it out before you go to bed and read it. Put it on your nightstand. And if the Lord reveals some areas in your life, do you know what you do? You humble yourself before the Lord. And he will what? He'll lift you up. He'll make your path straight. Aren't you thankful for the Lord? Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. And I, I'm just going to repent for all of us. Lord, we are so good at playing God. We are so good at taking the place that should only be reserved for you, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would root this, this text, this scripture, these principles in our heart, Lord, that we would change, that we would be different, that we, we would look at people different, that we would minister to people different, that we would, we would navigate through life allowing you to do what you do best, and that's be God. And so, Lord, when it comes to others, Help us to be more loving of our labors. Help us to love our, our neighbors as ourselves. And Lord, as it comes to our own life, oh Lord, I, I pray that we would leave here with a stronger filter than ever before, with a stronger recognition that we need to, to live with a rhythm of life that, that, says, that seeks your will for everything in our life. Lord, we repent of attitudes. We repent of actions. And we put you in the rightful place that you should be. You are God. You alone are, are worthy of all the glory. You alone are, are the giver of truth. Lord, may we follow you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And may, may we love our neighbor as ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand? I'm going to ask our prayer partners if you guys would go ahead and come. If you're here this morning, you have a need in your life. Maybe it's due to this sermon. There's something in this sermon. You're like, I need prayer about that. There's something about confession and prayer with other people that breaks some strongholds in our lives. So I'm going to invite you to do that if that's you. Maybe that there's this prayer you need. It's not even related to this sermon. 
but you need prayer is for something in your life. Listen, don't underestimate what prayer can do. I, I, I hear people all the time and, and they're like, well, you know, I got this going on in my life. How about we pray together and see what God's going to do? Amen. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am also. I, I just feel like sometimes we miss a moment in this part of the service because we're so quick to want to get out the doors that God, God wants to do a miracle in your life. And, and the Bible says, James is going to tell us in chapter 5, we need, we need to call for people in the church. We need, to, we, need to, we need to pray over you and agree together in the name of the Lord because we need the Lord's help. Amen. So if you need prayer for anything in your life, would you go ahead and come? The rest of it, God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. I trust in God.